You're a wizard, Harry. It does not do to dwell on dreams and forget to live. I can tell you how to bottle fame, brew glory, and even put a stopper in death. It takes a great deal of bravery to stand up to your enemies, but a great deal more to stand up to your friends. Hey everyone, welcome to Hogwarts, a podcast. Hey everyone, welcome to Hogwarts, a podcast. Uh, We are back to discuss Chapter 9, The Midnight Duel. Um, Before we get started with the non-spoilers, we have Elizabeth back with us. Hello. Um, So, yeah, she uh, has not burned out her... uh, Harry Potter knowledge with all of the schedule making that she had. To so. quote Captain America, I could do this all day. <laughs> <laughs> well done. <laughs> well played. Um, so uh, this was an interesting chapter. You had um, quite a bit going on, really. Uh, you had the flying lessons with Hooch, and obviously the, the name of the chapter, The Midnight Duel. Mm-hmm. So, flying lessons... Well, what I think is funny is, like, even before the flying lessons, it all centers around Remember All. Yeah. Which, like I said in my notes, is a very cool item, but so useless. It doesn't tell you what you forgot. It just tells you you forgot something. It'd be better if you can, like, color code the smoke to a, like, a, like, if it's red, oh, that's something about school that I forgot. Or if it's white, it's something about home that I forgot. Or something. You can program your your memory. Your, yeah. your lack of memory. Yeah, like, <laughs> try to try to help him out a little bit. But uh, it is a great gift for Neville, given uh, how memory-prone he is, and I can identify with that for sure. I wonder if it was only ever clear the first time he got it, and every time since then it was just the red smoke. You'd think someone would have invented the secondary option of like words or <laughs> something to come It's like up a magic with. eight ball, but yeah, there's there's no dice inside of it to tell you what you're you're forgetting. You're right. But the flying lessons kind of revolve all or, or at least the act, action, the real action around the flying lessons mm-hmm. revolves around the remember all. Now, you are a giant. How do you think it'd be for you being on a broomstick? Well, I, there are larger individuals that play Quidditch, so it's possible. It's not impossible. I guess my issue with flying would be, and I think they mention it here, it's like, teach you how to grip the broom, how to not slide off the back of the broom, (laughs) things like that. Uh, So, as long as I get that, I'm fine. I feel like it would hurt your back after a while. Yeah, you'd have to have proper writing form. Mm -hmm. I will discuss that more in the spoilers, because that's a spoiler. (laughs) Come back to that for later, and I'll discuss that. But it'd be weird, to say the least. Uh, Also, I don't like heights, personally. Yeah, I'm not a massive fan of that. I'm not a huge flyer, especially not with nothing to brace. I don't like the feeling of nothing under your feet. So I think that would be what would freak me out even more than the heights of just there's nothing for me to touch, to be grounded. I assume the brooms have, like, 
at least the the high level brooms, like the racing brooms mm. or the Quidditch brooms, would have like actual foot. The holdings, the holds, kind of thing. Yeah. Kind of like riding a horse. Kind of. Yeah. Yeah, I could see that. Like little bracers, because I so so we find out here like leaning forward makes you accelerate. Right. So I'm assuming to lean forward, you also need to counterbalance that and have your feet go back as your head goes forward. Yeah, probably. You know I mean? So I'm, I'm assuming it would be toward the broom part would be the foot. Oh. I guess what we're discovering is there was a lot more to riding a broom than you would think. Yes. And her, <laughs> and her mind was super nervous about it because it's not something that she can memorize. Right. It's something she's got to actually physically practice. So I imagine watching flying lessons every year, though. It would be so funny if you're not Madame Hooch. It would just be so entertaining. Just look out the window and be like, oh, there's the first year's going at it again. If I were the nurse, I'd be like, can you <laughs> tell me when the flying lessons are? Because Well, your be job, yeah, you would be on scene. Yeah, I'd be stocked and ready to roll. Because <laughs> you know there's going to be injuries. Mm-hmm. But I mean, you're always ready because Hogwarts in first years has a real bad combo. Yeah. And, and I mean, we see Neville get injured here. Which, yeah, I think he breaks his wrist mm-hmm. and... Straight to the hospital wing. To her credit, she, she fixes it in a minute, which we can get into more detail as well in the spoilers. What I think but. is interesting, though, is Hooch chooses to bring Neville to the hospital wing instead of sending some kid to just bring him. Which, to be fair, could be just that the first year, they don't the know year. where everyone that, is, that yeah. kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But um, a teacher perspective, you don't leave your children unsupervised, especially when you have punks like Malfoy in the class. And brooms and flying. Yes! It's so dangerous! So I can just, like, I mean, one, if she hadn't done that, I don't know if Harry would have become Seeker. Because he wouldn't necessarily know his connection to flying the way... James did, and he doesn't know Quidditch. He doesn't follow Quidditch. So even if, like, you know, in his second, third year, like, he he gets more excited about going to the games, I don't know what would have compelled him to go try out for the team. So her leaving them unsupervised was step one in getting him to this destiny as a Quidditch player. But also her leaving. I could just imagine McGonagall, like, sitting in her office, just grading, or, you know, looking out the window and just being like, oh, there's Neville floating up right in the sky. Him falling, seeing Hooch go away with him, and being like, I have to supervise the class because there's no other teacher out there supervising. This is probably during her prep period that you gave us unless... You gotta have your prep period. So her prep period probably gets interrupted because she sees Malfoy on his broom and is immediately like, wrongdoer. I gotta go... Gotta go give him a detention. I think she was just scouting for the Quidditch team. She is a well, just huge think though, like fan, right? Of... So, so she would have had to run down the stairs to get down to where they were flying. In that time period, Harry gets on his broom and goes after Malfoy, and she arrives just in time to see him catch it. I, hey, so she went down there like wanting to ride a detention, and instead found a seeker. Don't doubt McGonagall's. Uh knowledge of the school i'm sure she has just as much knowledge as filch to get from point a to point b real quick yeah but even then i mean she she got down there just in time and if that hadn't happened he never would have found that connection to his father he wouldn't have become the seeker the youngest seeker in a century with his fancy broom all that fun stuff draco malfoy literally sets him up to be seeker and it just drives him insane and i love it 
Yeah, you get another hint of that Harry Draco rivalry, mm-hmm. and you get another sense of Draco going like, "Oh, he's got something," because he's good at it from the start. Yeah, which everybody wants to be good at something from the start. No one is. It's so rare for you to be good from the start. Which, of course, is just her way of, you know, developing that connection to James. Um, McGonagall tells him your father was a great, you know, flyer. So he was proud. on, yeah, he was he was on the team, too. So there's that. But yeah, it is nice for him to have something in the magical world that makes him say, oh, okay, this does make sense. I do belong. I'm not just some famous person with a scar on my head. Yeah, it's an important moment for, I think, all of the characters involved. And we get to meet Oliver Wood. <laughs> Every female, you know, Potterheads. <laughs> He's just so great. Comes, well, at least, it, so if you've watched the movies, he comes in with his wonderful Scottish accent and a Gryffindor turtleneck or something like that. That's the accent. That's what does it. Yeah. And it drives people crazy. But so to, <laughs> to, to Oliver Wood, shout out to you. But uh, Quidditch captain pulled him out of um, Flitwick's class. I think so. That always confuses me too because I think they pull him out of Quirrell's class just to get Quirrell some more airtime. Was it? In uh, Sorcerer's Stone. No, they, it's oh, in the, in the In the movie, movie. it's Quirrell's. Again, I don't know the movies because I'm not a massive fan of the movies. For those reasons of changing little plot points. I hate it. But again, that's a completely different podcast. So Yes. <laughs> uh, we, we do talk about the movies a little bit. But uh, yeah. So Oliver Wood gets introduced. And he asks Harry like, oh, have you ever played? Have you even heard of this? Have you like, what do you know? <laughs> like <Nothing>. anything. <laughs> okay, awesome. We'll play on the team. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll figure it out. If McGonagall vouches for you, she's a big enough bitch fan that she knows what she's looking for. So um, that's pretty cool. Uh, and then that's like the, the first half of the chapter. Mm-hmm. But it does lead into the second half. Yes. Of Draco wants his revenge. And his revenge is setting him up to go get caught by Filch. But just imagine like this bratty little snot-nosed 11-year-old going up to Filch and just being like, guess what? Tonight at midnight, Harry Potter, or maybe he doesn't say Harry Potter, but he's like, there's going to be some first years in the trophy room. It's out of bounds. You should catch them. And Filch is just like, yes, let me go after them. I will catch them in the dark in the act. Thanks, little child. And just goes with it. Yeah, it seems like kind of a cowardly move. Very petty. Um, but I mean, that's, he's selling that to all of his, uh, cohorts in Slytherin as, mm-hmm. I'm just here to get him in trouble. I'm so smart. Like, I'm going to get him in trouble. Yeah. yeah. It's also a very first year thing. That's a very 11 year old thing. Yeah. I'm going to go tattle on them. Right. Exactly. <laughs> that's why I teach high school. Uh, but I love, first of all, Ron's nonchalant tone about dueling is perfect. Harry's like, you're my second? I could die? He's just like, oh, don't worry about that. First of all, and I have to mention this, uh, I I do enjoy uh, a musical or two. (laughs) And I got images of the musical Hamilton when they're describing the um, Ten Dual Commandments song. Mm. And Ron's now talking about being his second. And he's just like, 
throw your wand away and punch him in the face. You don't know enough magic to win this. But yeah, if you die, that's why I'm there is to to pick you up. And I'm like, well, that's just very like a throwaway thing that. And, and Harry noticed it too. He's like, why are you just throwing that away? That's kind of a big deal. Like, what are you talking about? Um. So I, I enjoyed Ron's nonchalant tone about it, which is kind of like a subtle Ron humor thing. Like he's not intending it to be humorous, right? But it comes across right. that way. Um, it's just so matter of fact. Yeah, and then obviously uh, it's a Malfoy trick, mm-hmm. and then you end up getting... It goes wrong very quickly. It does, but before they leave the common room, they run into Hermione that's very upset uh, about the possibility of losing points, <laughs> which we talked about. Which, like you were saying, like her, her way of coming across is just like, so bossy, know-it-all, I'm getting in your business, when it's doesn't concern you at all. Mm-hmm. You're not going to get in trouble if they get in trouble. It's just that you're going to lose some house points. But they're a family. They do everything <laughs> together. Like Fast and the Furious How style. dare this you break family. the rule? Which um, it says her, this is her first time breaking the rules. Yeah, she ends up going with them. Uh, why? I, I, I don't really know. Just to say that she tried. I like her logic that if we get caught, I'll just tell them that it's terrible. You logic. forced me to come. She's with. smarter than that. Yeah. <laughs> what if logic is that? Anyway, moving <laughs> forward. Uh, but they end up running into Neville outside, who forgot the password. Poor Neville. To, which is probably what the remembrance. <laughs> but he forgot the password to the house after coming back from the hospital. Room. You're probably yeah. You need to get into your dorm room. Sorry. Yep. So, That's so funny. He gets healed and tries to get back in uh, to the common room and uh, doesn't know the password. So he was like, no, he, he literally outside. just gets sucked into their midnight adventure. Yes. So, again, <laughs> we see the four of them. They came to Hogwarts literally together on their little rowboat that Hagrid had. Mm-hmm. And now they're on this midnight adventure, mm-hmm. um, which goes horribly, horribly wrong. They run into Peeves. <laughs> they run into Peeves, which is never a good thing. <laughs> I love Peeves so much. Especially, like, what what was your comment about Peeves? He has zero loyalty. <laughs> he picks no sides. His side is chaos. He's yes. an agent of chaos. Yes. I love how he, he's first like, you know, don't, I forget exactly what the quote was, but just basically like, I'm going to tattle on you. And then Filch comes in and he's like, shout and say nothing if you don't say please. And he says, fine, please. Nothing. Yeah. Like, that's so immature. And, bolts, and I love it. Just bolts <laughs> off and just leaves Filch very frustrated. <laughs> uh, that's Peeves in a nutshell. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, zero loyalty. He doesn't care. Students, faculty, Whatever he can He's do to cause more chaos. Peeves. I'm on Team Peeves. <laughs> you say that, but as a teacher, he can get on your nerves very easily. Oh, easily, but McGon- from the outside, it's hilarious. Yeah, McGonagall's not a... I think there's a, there was a part of this chapter where McGonagall's bringing Wood and Potter into the room, right? And Peeves is already in the room writing rude words on the <laughs> chalkboard. Like, get out. He does. <laughs> Not even concerned Which about maybe it. says something about McGonagall. Maybe she's got that, like, you know, bad side to her of, of breaking the rules, kind of, that he respects. As much as Peeves can respect I somebody. I think she's got some tricks in the bag that makes him fall in line. Yeah. I, I think that's the thing, is <laughs> McGonagall has some maybe more advanced tricks up her sleeve. 
that he has Even to... Teves succumbs to it. Mm-hmm. Now, speaking of that midnight rampage of the school, not a rampage, but you know what I mean, exploration, um, it ends on a very interesting note. We broke into the Forbidden Corridor. Yes. And yes, yes, noticed yes. exactly why it's forbidden. You don't want to go in there because you will die. There is a three-headed dog in there. It's that a, it's is, a very large puppy. Yeah, and that very quickly wakes up and, and starts to growl. And of course, Hermione is the only one that notices there's a trap door. So this is not just a three-headed dog. It is a three-headed guard dog. And what is it? Why were you guarding? looking at the floor? I was looking at its heads. <laughs> <laughs> what are you looking at the floor for? Um, <laughs> Which is a valid question. Why were you looking at the floor? <laughs> that is very fair. Dumbledore was not lying when mm-hmm. you know he said, "Don't go there, or you'll meet a very unflattering fate." Yeah, it'll so, be a very quick death. So yeah, our first kind of introduction to uh, that three-headed dog. And I, I just want to shout out at this point in time to Doug Glanville, who does uh, some of the uh, analysis work for the Chicago Cubs, if you're in the Chicago area. And on a broadcast, he actually mentioned uh, or corrected one of the other broadcasters <laughs> and said the name of the dog. And we shouted him out and uh, was like, wow, Doug Glanville, all right, you know you're Harry Potter. And he shot us back a, a very kind uh, quote tweet on Twitter. So uh, thank you to Doug Glanville. We appreciate it. Um, and if you want to see that, it's at Hogwarts Pod. So, you know, check us out. Uh, thanks to Doug Glanville for that. Uh, he and his daughter read the series together. Um, so he's quite the expert, he says. And uh, maybe we'll get him on for a trivia showdown uh that'd be super super fun the invite is out there the invite's out there uh so thank you to that thank you to him for that so um anyway yeah uh we'll probably wrap up the non-spoilers now and then we'll get into the spoilers after a short break so thanks for listening So we are back with the spoiler section. Did of... you miss us? We missed you. Yes, this is a very quick six second <laughs> uh, We're back with chapter nine, The Midnight Duel. Um, spoilers. So if you haven't read kind of past uh, this point, you should probably, probably stop. <laughs> but then come back. But then come back for the next one. So um, I wanted to kind of start off with just kind of an interesting thing that I thought of while reading. Uh, but the McGonagall quote that we kind of mentioned in the first section that I love, where McGonagall says, your father would have been so proud, he was an excellent Quidditch player himself. I have two thoughts surrounding that quote. My first thought is, I would love to hear Harry's response to that, and what his thoughts and feelings were, and we just kind of glide right on past it, and we do a little bit of a time jump, and I think Harry would have had a... I think he would have asked... McGonagall, like, hey, what about my dad? How was he good? Especially since we know she's fond of James. Yeah. I mean, in Goblet of Fire, when they're at the Three Broomsticks, um, she's talking about you know how great they were, you know, seeing seeing the boys around and how great James was. Yeah, it would have been an interesting conversation to witness. Mm-hmm. 
And I don't know if she was ready to pull the trigger on that kind of conversation this early in the series, and maybe that's why she skipped over it. Which, but, I mean, also, it could just be out of respect for Harry of, I don't want to remind you of the fact that your father is dead, and you are in a rough spot right now, and if I start bringing up how much I knew of your parents, it could just be a very depressing thing for him, and she doesn't want to depress him. You know what else could have happened is, it's such a kind, soft, you know, heartfelt moment. She could have made him cry. I would have cried. I don't think that would have been his response. I think his response would have been shock, actually. Yeah. I don't expect this from you. I don't expect this softened nature from you. Right. So he could have been stunned silent. later. She's definitely very... I mean, she's not closed off, but she's reserved with the affection she shows so that when she does show it, it hits you harder. Mm -hmm. She's very smart on her part. So that was kind of my first thought surrounding the quote. And my second thought is, so that's a time jump. There are quite a few time jumps throughout the series of varying lengths. Some days, some weeks, some months. So what happens in that time, I think, is interesting. Uh, Some people, including the one sitting near me right now, would like a Harry Potter series (laughs) where they go more in-depth on the day-to-day. Okay, I want a Harry Potter series where it is the book on the screen. And nothing changes. It is 100% copied. That would be... Every every episode is a chapter. Just looks similar like this. See, I would go... That would be great. I would love it. My answer to that would be... I would go further and go... If we're going to do this, we're going to do it and not do time jumps. Imagine a chapter... We're going to go day by day. Imagine a chapter where it's not even Harry, but just a random Hogwarts student... And they're going about their day, and they see Harry in the back, and they're like, oh, there's Potter. But they just do... What, what is a day hey, when your life is not being threatened? I would tune in for a Mandy Brocklehurst episode, <laughs> okay? Just to learn what a little bit about her. What has she been up to this yeah. whole time? What, is she, what has she done in her seven years here, five <laughs> years here, whatever? I don't know. I would love to learn. Have a filler episode once a season. Um, that would be the episode the fans would complain the most about. Probably. But I don't care. I would love it. It would be great. <laughs> but no, it's it's kind of an interesting thought of like, okay, well, is it just literal days and weeks of Malfoy teasing Harry and Harry getting through it and Snape making snide comments and blah, 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 blah? Or is it Learning. more of a... Learning is going on. Is it just more of a typical day where nothing of note generally happens and it's just... Well, think about high school for you. I mean, do you remember the day-to-day-to-day? It tends to be the more, the big events that pop out. Well, I had perfect attendance in high school, so I could actually remember the days because I was there. Did you pay attention in every single class? Uh, not to the teacher necessarily, but I, <laughs> but I was a high school kid and I knew what was going on around me, yeah. Okay, so those of you who went to school with Dan, verify with us on Twitter if that is accurate or not. What, that I actually was Did perfect attendance? Did you pay attention in class? I mean, I got good grades. I got very good grades. <laughs> We're getting off topic. We are getting off topic. <laughs> Sorry. Um, <laughs> speaking of classes though, real quick. <laughs> Favorite teacher in class? Of the Hogwarts professors? Mm-hmm. Um, we didn't really talk about this. No, yes. we didn't. Um, I love McGonagall. 
And I think it's just because she is what I strive to be. Okay, I feel like McGonagall's too popular of an answer. Pick another one. <laughs> okay, I'll say this. I think as a teacher, I'm a combination of McGonagall and Flitwick. Because I know that I have my kids' respect and love. And that's not just me, like, you know, brushing off my shoulder kind of thing like they tell me that. But I also know that we have a lot of fun in class. Like, I I'm, I'm, pretty much laugh on a daily basis. And my, my kids can hear me laugh throughout the entire school. Um, but I, I feel like we learn, but we also have fun. And I feel like that is definitely Flitwick's class. I feel like I would have... I feel like I would have more fun... Or I maybe pay more attention in Flitwick's class because I feel like his spells more often than not you can use on a daily basis. Yeah, I feel like charms is a really underrated subject. It really is because you think like, about it. It's I want to be able to one. charm my fridge to open and then bring me a drink when I'm right. sitting on That's my driver recliner with my cat on my lap. I don't want to move. How her. often are you going to transform or transfigure a couch into a dog? Not right. often. <laughs> <laughs> like. But like we're like, said, oh, the remote's out of reach. Exactly. <laughs> Let me grab my wand. Cardium Leviosa. <laughs> yes. um, so, uh, yeah, no, charms would probably be my fa- my favorite teacher from the, the from the early chapters. Vince. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, although I think history of magic is another underrated subject. It you would be not... so great if it was taught by somebody else. Yes. I agree. Um, but my favorite teacher might be... Hmm. You're going to say McGonagall. Even though you just said everyone says McGonagall, you're going to say McGonagall. Everybody says McGonagall. For uh, a reason. It could be Flitwick, though. I might double down on charms. <laughs> I might double down on charms. Uh, but there, I, there's a lot of other reasons I love Flitwick that aren't in these first couple of chapters. I think he's an underrated professor, too. Just imagine if you stood next to Flitwick. <laughs> I'm 6'4". For those who don't know, I'm 6 feet 4 inches tall. I'm a, I'm, I'm a, I'm a big dude. greatly amuses me. Um, well, Flitwick, and this is getting off subject again, I'm so sorry, but uh, Flitwick is a very accomplished duelist, too. Mm-hmm. Like, he's a talented dude. Mm-hmm. Who is? If only Harry had brought him along on the duel with Malfoy. He's formidable <laughs> in a fight, is what I'm saying. He's, he's there's a lot to Flitwick, but and, and plus he's the Ravenclaw. Um, I am a Ravenclaw. Yeah, I do love him. So there is that. Anyway, sorry, we're gonna get back <laughs> on track. Uh, so this is the first time they sneak out at night. And it's also the last time they sneak out without an invisibility cloak. Unless you include when they forgot the invisibility cloak up in the tower after, you know, dropping off uh, the dragon. But the fact that they didn't get caught, I guess, is just because Filch is, like, waiting for them in the trophy room. But it's so interesting. Like, every other time since, they have the cloak. Cloak or not, it is pretty remarkable that they didn't get caught mm-hmm. this time through. Because you had four of them. Yeah. Neville is not the most athletic. And we're begging on Neville. I'm right. amazed he didn't like get stuck in the staircase and just knock didn't into trip, didn't knock fall. into like a suit of armor or something. Yeah. Or Hermione's just like whispering at them that they should go back the whole time to the point where somebody hears her. Yes. Um. So it, it's outstandingly remarkable that they didn't get caught. <laughs> I, although I do, 
I do really like Hermione's quote because it's a typical Hermione quote that everybody pulls is, uh, we could all have been killed or worse. Expelled. Expelled. I will say this is one line from the movie I do enjoy of Ron saying she needs to sort out her priorities. That's a, that yeah, is yeah. that is good. Rupert I love Grant that. Did deliver that one. I love that. Well. Um, the trophy room I find interesting because one that does not seem like a room that they would know where it is this early in the year. So they had to have asked like an upperclassman or something like, where is this trophy room actually? Like it, it, didn't they say it's like off the Great Hall or something like that? Is I, it? I feel like it's somewhere near there. I don't know, but it just seems like a random... That's your next Not the place where they... (laughs) Now that you have accomplished the teacher's schedules... (laughs) Make a map of Hogwarts? Make an actual Marauder's map of Hogwarts. (laughs) Um, Oh, maybe next summer. School has started. Or just buy a Marauder's map. (laughs) Uh, Anyway. I didn't, like... Okay, so one, they found the trophy room. But there's so much in that trophy room that they don't even realize. They go by... Yeah, they haven't discovered it yet because they never really got a chance to look around. Yeah, because they had to get out of there fast. But Tom Riddle has his special services to the school award, which Ron and Harry will also have at the end of Chamber's Secrets. Do you think Dumbledore would have just removed that? Like, he removed the books about Horcruxes from the library. Wouldn't you think he would have just well, put that one in the... like? I mean, Tom Riddle isn't Voldemort until Tom Riddle becomes Voldemort. Yeah, but he knows it. He knows the connection. But he also... McGonagall knows the connection. At this point, though, like, they don't... It hasn't been proven that Hagrid didn't actually open the chamber. So, like, his award hasn't been negated yet by fact. Yeah, but it's still... Like, if you're Dumbledore, you still know who the guy is. Yeah. So I don't know that you'd even want that hint of a But nobody connection. knows that Tom Riddle was Voldemort other than... I'm assuming McGonagall would know, because she's not dumb. Maybe. And she was involved in the Order. I'm I guess, assuming. I guess it's kind of like, I mean... She probably taught him. If you go through any school and you see all of the old trophies up on the Maybe wall and just like all these random people from the 60s. Maybe some of them became serial killers. We don't know. How often do you think schools well, like, folks, check up on that? Well, look that one up in your high school and <laughs> let us know. Do any serial killers have trophies on your walls? In which case, you might want to check that out. But yeah, they they also get their own special services eventually. Hermione doesn't because she, you know, was petrified. Though she totally deserves one since she did all of the legwork for finding out that mystery. And then we ran into Fluffy! Yes, we ran into Fluffy. Again, shout out to Doug Landville. Uh, but... Yeah, no, Fluffy is a formidable guard mm-hmm. for a relatively small trapdoor. Which, of course, when you read it, you automatically, at least most, I think, automatically think of Cerberus of the Hound of Hades, guard of the underworld, with his, his three heads. And here, Fluffy, which is an adorable name for a three-headed dog, is guarding the Sorcerer's Stone. And, of course, there's the perfect line... He said, Gringotts was the safest place in the world for something you wanted to hide, except perhaps Hogwarts. Harry was quoting Hagrid. And that is literally Voldemort's logic of, I have these horcruxes, I'm going to have one in Gringotts, but I'm also going to put one in Hogwarts, because it is the safest place for a chunk of my soul. And I think part of it is his connection to Hogwarts. Yeah, it's home. It's home. And it's where he really felt safe himself Mm -hmm. yeah and 
Gringotts is more of the traditional, like... It's the status. The, the I'm a it. wizard with my wizarding bank account. But he hides it in the strange vault, which right. is deeper and under way more security. Right. So, you know, he kind of plays that to its security benefits a little bit. Whereas Hogwarts, yeah, you get the added benefit of both. Mm-hmm. And you get the added benefit of he believes he's discovered more of the school's secrets than anybody else. Which is also kind of funny. Granted, this is this isn't until book seven, so we're way ahead of this. But the room of requirements, his logic that no one has discovered that room of especially the one where it's I'm gonna hide stuff. There are so many things hidden in that room. Well, he knows people have found it, but but he's banking on A, people have to find the room, B, people have to know how to get in the room. C, people have to know that specific thing to want. And four, people have to be looking for... Like, there's a whole like, yeah, train but, of things but that but have I mean, to like, happen. the fact that he's like, oh, I'm so smart, no one else can find this. It's like, there's so much junk in that room. But that's also would, to would his benefit. in itself be a fascinating thing to go sure. explore. Oh, yeah. But that's also to his benefit. I guess, yeah. Easy to get Hiding lost. junk amongst a bunch of I mean, it's like junk. going into a hoarder's house. There's there's so much. No one's Which they find. also do to find it. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Hoarders. <laughs> so, uh, so Vol- man, you and Voldy are on the same page. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, so is Harry. And it's, it's just funny to me that that idea that Harry has, yeah. which, like, Ron and Hermione come out later, like, you really understand Voldemort. Well, that idea was first planted in his brain by Hagrid. An interesting kind of connection to make. And we're making a lot of those connections from first book to fourth, or first to sixth, or first to seventh, or whatever. Which again, genius of J.K. Rowling. That she's building suspense not just in one book, but an entire series. And we talked about in book one, like the put-outer. Like she put that in there. Did she plan that? Or did she just go back and was like, that works. That works really well. (laughs) Right. Uh, so how much of it is planned and how much of it is circumstantial, hey, that works, I can plug and play right there. I mean, you gotta try to avoid plot holes as much as possible. But I don't know. You'd have to look at our notes and see just how in-depth they are. Well, and that's what the wizarding world is for, not Pottermore. (laughs) Wizarding world. Uh, where she's publishing a lot of her yeah. notes, her personal notes that she wrote on uh, Which napkins here's, and here's such. a question for you. This isn't really spoilers, but this is just my curiosity. It's too bad we're in spoilers. Spoiler <laughs> for one. So, as a fan of the books, how do you feel about getting information on Pottermore or whatever it is now that wasn't in the original canon? Uh, well, I'm a massive nerd, if you couldn't have uh, figured that out from me hosting this podcast. but <laughs> Or from talking to you for like a minute. Yeah, so, <laughs> yeah. So, I like the information from Pottermore. Granted, I will be the first to admit I haven't read through all of it, because there is, by now, a substantial amount. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I pick and choose kind of what I'm more interested in, uh, like... Some of the common rooms, or some of the stuff that I haven't seen a lot of in the books. Mm-hmm. Um, the Hufflepuff common room is one of the things that I've read, and I've read recently, um, where it's just some extra information about something that I'm familiar with, but not to that detail that I find fascinating. 
See, I'm torn about it because on the one hand, I want more. Because of course I want more. I love Harry Potter. On the other hand, though, there is magic in your own imag imagination. And sometimes I think, and I think that's also kind of why, like, the movies irritate me sometimes. Like, when you watch the movies before reading the books, in your brain, you automatically visualize it the way the movies portrayed it. And if you just read the books first, I mean, you imagine the characters the way you want to imagine them. You imagine the structure of Hogwarts the way you want it to be. And when it's open to your imagination, you create your own version that's unique to you. And that's magical in itself. It is. And I think, you know, I've seen all of the movies multiple, multiple times. I've read all of the books multiple, multiple times. So I think my mental uh, you know, imagination of it all probably has kind of molded and melded together into some like amalgamation of both mm -hmm. uh for better or worse but there are still some things even though i've seen the movies a bunch where i read and i still go back to my original like thought with the movies and the books uh, the books yeah, yeah. Uh, and my still original image holds true it makes me wonder for like young readers now when they first read it and the movies have been out for years and do i mean do they, they they probably do experience the books differently than we did because we didn't have the movies to go against and in the movie I mean it takes us how many chapters to get to Hogwarts and in the movie it's what like 20 minutes that know? and I think a lot of I think what's worse about the the movies infringing upon the book is your image of the characters mm -hmm. because you suddenly see Rupert Grint as Ron and while he's great He's not what the book Book's specifically, is. not even just personality wise, but looks wise. Yeah. Um, or, you know, there's obviously the Dumbledore debate can go on for forever. Which Dumbledore do you prefer better in the movies? <laughs> um, but yeah, there there's a lot of those types of questions. It just makes me wonder, like with with kids today, and I've noticed this with my students sometimes too, that. That th things happen so quickly. I mean, tech I I'm going to sound so old with this, but technology and stuff, it, it, it happens at such a fast pace that sitting down and reading, reading chapters, and it being five, six, seven chapters to really start getting into the mystery of the actual book, I think a lot of times people, since they've watched the movie and they see how quickly they get to Hogwarts, like, I already know this. I know what the Wizarding World is. I know what Harry's life before was. I know what Hogwarts is. I've seen it on ABC Family a million times. So I think sometimes when people complain about, you know, the books, it's, well, it's slow at first. But it's slow because she does have to set so much informa information first before you can get to the rising action and i think this chapter is where it really does start to have the rising action of the mystery i think the books come off slow at first in the first couple of chapters of several of the books well, on, your, on she, your first when three. she recaps them like I, oh last year i almost died well again <laughs> some of the books start slowly yes but on rereads they don't really because she yeah. does drop 
some major things in some of those early chapters yeah. that you kind of forget were even there. But I think, like, for people who don't like reading, when they have the movie to just go to, and they're like, oh, it takes seven chapters to get to Hogwarts? What? I mean, that's a good hundred pages. But if you are reading for the first time and you've gotten this far, one, congratulations. <laughs> Two, keep reading because it gets so good and so dark. It, it continues to build, yes. It continues to build, it continues to get better. And I think all kids should read it because there have been studies that kids who read Harry Potter grow in their empathy. And I think that's what the world needs a lot of right now. Care about each other. But, uh, yeah, I think Harry Potter allows your imagination to go into kind of special places where you can kind of world build yourself. Even though she's doing it for you, kind of. But you get to do that in your kind of I don't know if I'm making sense. No, but. you are. And I think it helps with expressing emotions. Especially when you were like us, growing up with Harry and, you know, becoming an angsty teenager and and dealing with the fact that the world is not necessarily always nice. And adults are not necessarily always, one, knowing what they're doing, but two, looking out for the good of all people. And having to deal with that is really hard. So seeing Harry deal with that. And identifying with him in that fight is, is pretty inspiring. Look how deep we're getting in this spoiler section. <laughs> well, that's that's the thing. is It's a children's book initially, especially this one of mm. all of them. And you can still kind of find those deeper tones and those deeper moods uh, and themes um, that just get more and more pronounced. And it's kind of the, uh, forgive the kind of pun, but the, it's the magic of the whole series. Yeah. So, however, we will stop it there. <laughs> um, this has been Chapter 9, The Midnight Duel. Uh, thanks for listening with us. And uh, you can catch us on our Twitter, at Hogwarts Apod. And my personal Twitter is at Daniel underscore Allen 44. I'd say mine, except I don't use it, so don't even bother. <laughs> she really doesn't. Sorry. <laughs> but uh, for Elizabeth, I'm Dan. Uh, thank you for listening, and we'll, we'll catch you later. Thank you for listening to Hogwarts, a podcast. If you like what you've heard, please click the subscribe button on your preferred podcasting app and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Hogwarts, a podcast.